what is going on with me? I love God's law. I know I do. I want to be righteous. I want to love God's people. I do love God's people. But sometimes you wouldn't think it to look at me. And if you could see inside my head and read my thoughts, you would know it's worse than it looks. I do love people. I really do. I want to be nice to them. I want to be like Jesus. But sometimes when people are really annoying, I lose it with them. Sometimes I lose it with them and they're just a wee bit annoying. I want to tell the truth all the time. But sometimes when I get into a tight spot, the truth gets twisted or maybe a lie slips out. I'm impatient. I'm irritable. I do and say selfish and sinful things. I'm jealous, envious, proud, arrogant, and rude. Paul had the same problem. Maybe the sins were different, but here's what he said. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You can read about that in Romans chapter 7. It's my dilemma, it was Paul's dilemma, and it's your dilemma too, isn't it? The desire to do what is right is there, but the ability to do it is lacking. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. It's the experience of every Christian. What is going on with us? The answer to that question is there in Romans chapter 7 and 8, but it is very complicated. I don't know why those middle chapters of Romans are so difficult. I find them very hard. They are. And rather than go through them step by step looking for Paul's answer, rather than inflict that on you, I'm going to give you the answer this morning in my own words. And you go home and check out Romans chapter 7 and 8 afterwards and make sure that I'm right. Here's the question. If I am born again, and there is a new me with a heart that longs to be righteous, a heart that is full of love for God and for others, why do I still sin so much? What is going on with me? When you came to Christ, you were indeed born again. You are a new creation. There is a new you. How do you know that happened? Well, at first, it's often a matter of faith. You know you have been born again because God says so, and you believe him. And there are lots of well-known verses to confirm it. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. As I say, at first, it's often a matter of taking God at his word. But then, as time passes you see more and more evidence of that new you in action. You see the effects of the new birth. 
Remember when Jesus was explaining the new birth to Nicodemus, he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Well, to be born again is something that is done by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does something within you to give you a new nature, and it's not a new physical nature. It's not flesh, it is spirit. You can't see it, you can't touch it. Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Your new nature is like the wind. You can't see it, you can't touch it, but you can see and feel its effects. You see evidence of new desires developing within you. Desires to be godly. You develop new values. Your values become godly Christian values, God-centered, Christ-centered values. You find that more and more you want to be with other Christians and you start to love other Christians and you acquire new ambitions. You want to glorify God with your life. And with time, you will also see that the new you grows and develops and becomes stronger. That longing to be righteous that you're aware of becomes stronger and gets more intense. Your love for other Christians becomes more fervent. That desire to glorify God affects more and more of what you do and what you think. That's how you know you have been born again. And by the way, if you claim to have been saved for a while... And you're not seeing those things happening to you. If there is no evidence of those changes taking place, you've really got to question whether you're born again or not. But that's by the way. So, there is a new spiritual you. You know it's there. You see the evidence. But you also have a body. And that has not changed that great big lump of meat that you live in, it's still there. It's the same lump of meat that it was before you became a Christian. It's your flesh. The Holy Spirit made you new, but he hasn't taken your flesh away. For a while, you're still going to need it. You're going to have to live in it. One day, you're going to leave it behind one day it will be dead and the new spiritual you will zoom off to heaven. That will be a great day. Another day after that will come when you'll be given a new lump of meat to live in. That will be an even better day because it will be perfect, not like the one you've got now. But for now, the new you, well, let's stop calling it the new you because the spiritual you is who you are as far as the Bible is concerned. For now, you live in that old lump of meat. You live in the flesh. The flesh has a brain. It's a physical glob of goo. It's a bit like soft cheese. It's part of your flesh. And it influences a lot of what you do and what you think. It has desires. It has attitudes. It has ways of thinking and behaving and habits that are built into it. Some of those attitudes and ways of thinking and behaving and habits have been built in by what you have been taught. Some of them have been built into you by the things that you have experienced in your life so far. 
Some of those desires and attitudes and habits have even been shaped by the genes you've inherited from dear old mum and dad and granny and granda and way on back. And all of them have been tainted with sin. That's the flesh. The New International Version calls it your sinful nature, but the Greek word actually is the word for flesh. That is the flesh. And for now, you're stuck with it. It's not that there's nothing you can do about it. You don't have to give in to the flesh. You're not a slave to the flesh with its desires and attitudes and habits. You can override it. Paul says, Romans 8 verse 12, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You're not a slave to it. You can override it. In fact, you must override it. You cannot just give in to it. You must put it to death. That's how Paul puts it. Verse 13 in Romans 8. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what that comes down to is this. For you and for every Christian, there is a constant battle going on. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul puts it like this in verse 17. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. You have a constant battle to keep the flesh in its place. A battle instead of being led by it to rule over it and make your body, the flesh, do what you want it to do. How do you do that? Paul says you do it by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 again, verse 13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, I'm not going to go into that now. We're going to learn more about that when we look at Galatians 5, verse 16. I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But today we're focusing on verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. You, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, to understand that verse, you need to know what Paul means when he talks about the flesh, and you need to be aware of this battle with the flesh that we all face. And I hope I have explained it adequately for you to be able to, to do that. I hope you know now why you don't always do the good things you want to do. Those desires, attitudes, ways of thinking and behaving and habits that arise in your flesh in that lump of meat are a constant and a very, very strong influence. That's what pulls you down and that's what holds you back. The flesh is there. You have to live with it. You need it for a while. One day soon you'll leave it behind and it will rot in the ground. But meanwhile you've got to keep it in its place. So although you have this liberty in Christ that we have been learning about these past weeks, You're not bound by rules and regulations of any kind. You are free. Although you have all this liberty, do not use that freedom you have as an opportunity for the flesh to flex its muscles and gain 
the upper hand. You're free to joyfully and freely follow the desire of your heart to long for and to pursue righteousness. You're free to love your brothers and sisters and others too with a free and willing and happy heart. You're free to enjoy the bountiful blessing that God in grace bestows on you without any sense of shame or inhibition. You're free to be what you are. You're free to be what God has made you. You're free to be happy. Be free. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You see, you could say, I'm free. I'm not bound by rules and regulations. I can go anywhere. I can do anything. The restraints are off. And that's true. If the freedom that we have in Christ means anything, it means that the restraints are off. But some of the desires you will have, some of the thoughts you will think, some of the things you feel compelled to do will come from the flesh. Now, you don't want to use your freedom to give the flesh an opportunity to gain the upper hand, do you? You want the new nature, the new born-again you, to be free and to grow and to flourish. You want to be godly and righteous and loving and joyful, don't you? You have been called to liberty. Do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Is it right for a Christian to work on Sunday? Is it right for a Christian to buy a pint of milk on Sunday? Oh, I'm dealing myself there talking about pints of milk, aren't they? Is it right for a Christian to go to a nightclub? Is it right for a Christian to drink? Is it right for a Christian to da-da-da-da-da-da? You fill in the blanks. What's your question? You've heard the questions and you've probably asked them yourself and you've probably had a go at answering them. Questions like that always make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. For one thing, the people who ask them often ask them because at heart they are legalists. Will God disapprove of me if I work on Sunday or have a glass of wine with my dinner is what they're really asking. And usually what they really want to know is, can I get away with it? Either that or they're looking for legalistic rules that they can impose on their unfortunate children and other people around them. Or they're looking for an excuse to look down their noses at other Christians. Don't ask me questions like that. My flesh might react badly. If you're genuinely concerned about those questions and other questions like it, here's how to go about them. First, ask yourself, am I a Christian? Have I been born again? Secondly, ask yourself, what is my greatest desire and the longing of my heart? What gives me the greatest pleasure? Is it to be righteous? Is it to please God? Is it denying myself to love others? Is it to make much of God and glorify him? Is that my greatest pleasure? Because if that's not your answer, then you need to go back to question one. Am I a Christian or am I not? Have I been born again? If you have been born again, that is your greatest pleasure, your greatest 
desire. Thirdly then, ask, this desire I have, whether it be desire to work on a Sunday, to drink a glass of wine, to go clubbing, I'm choosing the old chestnuts as my example, you have to ask your own questions here. That desire you have, where does it come from? Does it come from that part of me that longs to glorify God and delights to please him? Or does it come from the flesh? And the answer is usually obvious, if you're honest. But if the answer is not obvious, well then you have the Bible to guide you. It tells you what glorifies God and what doesn't. It's full of wisdom. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And if that's not enough, if you struggle to find the answers in the Bible, then you have other Christians to ask, older and wiser Christians to help you. Just don't ask, is it right for a Christian too? Da, 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 da. Try putting it like this. Try saying, I love the Lord with all my heart. My greatest desire is to please him and to be like him and to glorify him. And I have a desire to go to the coach on Saturday night and get blocked. You put in your own desire there, by the way. I hope it's not that one. I have a desire to go to the coach on Saturday night. Would that be wise? Would that glorify the Lord? Or would it be giving the flesh an opportunity to gain the upper hand? That's the question to ask. You're free to do whatever. Just don't use your liberty to give an opportunity to the flesh. Paul said in another place, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So what we have here is a warning. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. The flesh is a constant influence. And you know, the more you indulge it, the stronger its influence will become. And if you keep indulging it, you'll end up nowhere as a Christian. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank and praise you that you have caused us to be born again, that you have put a new nature within us, that you have given us a heart that longs for you and desires you and delights in you above everything else. But, oh, our Father, the desires and the habits and the thoughts and the influence of the flesh are very strong at times. Help us, Lord, not to use this precious liberty that you gained for us on the cross. Help us not to go back to a yoke of slavery again to become legalists, but help us not to use the liberty that we have as an opportunity for the flesh to grow yet stronger. Help us, Lord, to learn what it means by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body so that we might live and so that we might become more godly people. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.